Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 24 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. Once again, this is your host, Greg Lindbergh. On this episode of the podcast, we are hitting the lanes to talk about blind bowling. And I know a lot of people probably assume bowling is, you know, a very visual sport. Obviously being able to see the pins and whatnot, but there are many, many blind and visually impaired bowlers out there uh, who are very successful and perhaps more importantly just can have fun enjoying the sport of bowling. So here we go with episode 24. Okay, so my guest on this episode of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast is Fred Nickel of the American Blind Bowling Association. Fred, welcome to Eyes Free Sports. Oh, good. I'm glad to be here. Anytime I get to talk about blind bowling, I'm happy. Absolutely. This is going to be fun. Okay, so starting off, uh, talk to me about uh, where you were born, where you grew up, just uh, your early years in life, Fred. Uh, I was born in uh, Chicago. I lived there all my life until I graduated high school when I joined the Army. Unfortunately, then I was in an automobile accident, so I lost my vision totally. Uh, after that, I was kind of floating for a couple of years looking for a job purpose, and I found a job working in a darkroom processing film where I worked for approximately 30 years until the, uh, the idea of film kind of went away and everybody started going digital, and those darkroom jobs disappeared. I used to say I was retired, and my kids said, no, I was unemployed, so take it from from there. Yep. uh, Gotcha. And then I'm curious about your military service. Uh, How long did you actually get to serve for? I was in about two years. Gotcha. Any deployments or anything interesting? I was joked, the only foreign country the Army sent me to was New Jersey. (laughs) So that's... That's it. Gotcha. Interesting way to put it. Yeah, well, it was pretty foreign to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Coming from the Midwest, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I'm curious, uh, as far as the car accident, I'm not sure how much you want to delve into that, but just kind of walk us through the, the story and the details that you care to share. Uh, I basically f- fell asleep. It was late at night, and I was driving and uh, fell asleep and uh, crashed into a building. Mm. Uh, so you were driving by yourself. Yeah, I was by myself. I, I I remember laying on the ground, being very cold, hearing somebody say, "Probably a DOA," and I kept thinking at the time, "DOA, DOA, what is, what does that mean?" <laughs> so, <laughs> but luckily, it didn't work out like that. So right, I'm okay. Wow. And was it was it just your vision then that was impacted, or any other injuries or effects? My face was pretty damaged. I had to have some plastic surgery, uh, custom-built nose, and things like that. But otherwise, I was okay. I was wearing glasses at the time. Oh, I see. Gotcha. So the lenses shattered, and this was before they had plastic lenses, so... Right, right. So then it was the actual the lenses that kind of got into your eyes? Yeah. Is that what ultimately yes. caused it? Yeah, yeah, the lenses are what just destroyed my eyes to the point they could... Could never be uh, repaired. And what was that like, you know, after that accident and, and losing your vision? Uh-huh. What was going through your mind? I always joked that I was too stupid to understand because I remember telling the doctor it's no big deal. Hmm. I didn't understand what being blind really meant. I had never seen a blind person. I had no idea. It took me a couple of years to finally figure out 
what it really meant to me. But by that time, I had had mobility training and had learned to get around and do things. So that the hard part was kind of over for me once I was able to do things. And then I did find a job, actually found one, and then got a better one after that. So Right. I see. Interesting. Like I said, I was too stupid to understand what being blind really was. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, in terms of sports, I'm curious, did you play sports growing up or in high school or? Uh, nothing. In high school, I was not a sports person. I never really did anything. We did some other sports, you know, just with my friends, baseball and, you know, basketball on a alley court and, you know, things like that. I never really was in any kind of organized sports. Gotcha. And in terms of bowling, uh, did you bowl at all on any kind of leagues no. growing up? Or? No, I never I never bowled when I had my vision. Hmm. Uh, I actually started bowling after I lost my job because then I had free time and uh, I needed things to do and someone told me about this and I I had bowled with my ex-wife a couple of times. She, she had bowled as a young person and we went out and bowled a few times. When I heard about this blind bowling, I joined the league and enjoyed it and have been doing it ever since gotcha that's awesome let's uh, talk a little bit about the adaptations of blind bowling and i understand that there are these rails that are used if you could explain that yes we have obviously as a totally blind person there's no way you could actually bowl without some guidance so somewhere along the line when bowling first started someone designed a guide rail that uh we use as a 12 feet long. Some other uh, cities use a 15 foot rail, but it's basically just a guide rail, which at both ends has a, a foot on the ground with two bowling balls in it to hold it steady. And it's lined up with the gutter on the left side of the alley. And it keeps you straight in line. So, you know, you're walking straight towards the alley. I see. And you just, you just run your hand along the top. It's not for support or anything like that. You just slide your hand along the top and throw the ball with your your other hand. Gotcha. So there actually is one of these for every lane then? For every lane. Unless you have a left-handed bowler, which is a nightmare because then there's a rail on both sides, which really restricts <laughs> the space. I, I hate bowling <laughs> with a left-hander. Yeah, that's true. Not as much yeah. room to stretch out, and, and right. as far yeah. as the delivery, yeah. yep, makes sense. And then how how high is the the rail actually off the ground then, or the floor? The rail is, I, I, I should know the actual dimensions, but I don't. It's it's about waist high for me. Gotcha. Okay. And like I said, it's twelve feet long, so you right. have your approach. You can take three steps, or some people take five steps before I release the ball. Yep. And then, like, in your case, are you pretty much touching that rail the whole time as far as your delivery? or? Yes. You are? Yes. So you are? I start at the beginning, and I kind of line myself up. I run my hand back and forth, and then yep. I move forward. Gotcha. And when I get to the end of the rail, I just go into my knee bend and throw the ball. I see. And then I know that there are also uh, spotters that, uh, you know, aid in, in communicating the, you know, the pinfall and whatnot. If you could talk about the spotters. Yeah. Uh, 
it's funny when the, some of the buying bowling leagues started, they only had blind people. They didn't have any sighted people. So uh, <laughs> they did then have to have people who would sit at the desk and call pins and keep score. Yep. They did They did eventually this in the league I was in. They, at some point they realized, why are the spouses and friends sitting behind us when we're bowling? And they uh, added sighted people to the, to the blind bowling leagues. So now that's when sighted people started bowling too. Uh, so there's always a sighted person on every set of alleys, like I said, to call pins and keep score. Gotcha. And they, they pretty much just indicate, uh, is it just frame by frame, or do they give you an update on your score each frame, or what kind of information do they give? Uh, some people need to know every frame. I don't really care to know. I just need to know what I did that frame. You always have a feeling of... Uh, you know, how you're doing. Yep. You know, if you hear that right gutter a lot, you know, you're not doing well, so <laughs> you got to keep it on the lane. you got to keep right. it on the lane, and, and you can tell that, that you've hit the pins and stuff. I, I've known some blind people, I don't know how they do it, but they're able to call their own pins with some good percentage of reliability. I don't know how. I've tried doing it, and sometimes you can have a feeling of what what's left but i would never i would never try to count on it but gotcha so we, we all do rely on uh, the spotters exactly yep and then i know uh myself as a visually impaired person sometimes i you know it's it's tough to find to locate my bowling ball on the the ball return on the rack there do you have any tips or anything any strategies that people use to do that i finally went to a pink bowling ball because hmm. uh, so many bowling balls are black or blue or stuff Darker. like that and, and you need to go okay which black one is yours well I have so I I, I don't care about the color of my ball <laughs> so I got one that's pink so now I, you know oh that's Fred's ball it's the pink one obviously there's no there's no, no mistaking my ball because a lot of times you like when you're at tournaments there, there are time limits to how long each each set of teams can have to bowl so for singles and doubles you might have two and a half hours and if it's team event you might have three and a half hours to finish gotcha they don't want people you know wait so it's it's important that you find your ball pretty quickly and how about like the the texture of the bowling balls i know that's something i have kind of picked up on you know each ball seems to be a little bit different is that something you go off of at all Sometimes you can tell a little bit, but there there's so many different finishes on the bowling ball. Some are plastic. Uh, I think those were the first ones, and now they're they're what is it polyurethane or something? They're different. Yeah, they're different materials. I mean, they're all basically the same weight. It can't be more than sixteen pounds, and I've seen some as low as eight pounds for kids, but for adults, usually they're up in the 14, 15, 16 pound area. Gotcha. Let's uh, talk about the American Blind Bowling Association. And I understand that this organization formed uh, way back in the early 50s, right? Yes, 1951 is when the first tournament. Uh, the organization actually started in the Midwest. As you can imagine, in the winter, there's not a lot of outdoor sports going on. So bowling is something that uh, people were attracted to 
And uh, the other thing, which uh, is my theory, I, I don't have any real numbers to prove this, but I think back in the 40s, 50s, blind children were sent to blind-centered schools. So in Illinois, there was one called Jacksonville. It was in southern Illinois where all the, the blind kids went to for high school. And they had bowling alleys there for the kids. So they all learned to bowl when they were in high school. Hmm. So all those kids from those days bowled. But now kids are, I guess it's called mainstreamed. Right. They aren't sent, they aren't sent to schools like that anymore. They go to general just the regular schools everybody else goes to so they don't they don't get introduced to that bowling and that's why right now today our organization is probably at its lowest point ever in history hmm. because kids aren't introduced to bowling the way they were and then of course attrition people are just you know leaving us so it's, yeah our numbers our numbers are way down from what they were like in the 60s I see. That is interesting. And uh, let's see here. In terms of like the history of the ABBA, um, obviously it started in 51. And if you could just talk about, you know, kind of how it's it's grown over time and, and where different teams and leagues exist, you know, that comprise the organization. Uh, yeah, like I said, it started basically in the Midwest. There were leagues in Chicago that weren't really organized. They were organized state-wise. I know in Illinois in the early days there were state tournaments where leagues from Illinois would get together and have tournaments. And then they progressed to uh, tournaments between states. I know there would be a tournament between Illinois and Wisconsin, uh, which of course most of the leagues were in Milwaukee. As you can imagine, the blind leagues were mostly in populated areas. So those things got together. There were leagues in Detroit. Eventually, they got together and organized ABBA. And the first tournament, I believe, was in Detroit in 1951. Hmm. And after that, it just kept growing. And then they, at some point, they got in touch with other uh, states and leagues, and they organized ABBA until the point now where we're we're not in every state, but we're we're pretty much all over the country. Yeah, very cool. And I understand that you guys do have a like a national tournament, I guess you would call it, each year? Yes. Usually in November we have what's called a mid-year meeting where we have an organizational meeting, uh, talk about new bylaws and uh, cities to have tournaments. And then in May, usually over, over Memorial Weekend, the four or five days before Memorial Day were, would be the tournament. And... Uh, like I said, it's almost always over Memorial Day, except when we have we had it in Indianapolis once. Actually, I think we were there twice, and of course you couldn't have it over Memorial Weekend because in Indy 500, right. you, couldn't get, you couldn't get a hotel. <laughs> but our last tournament, because of COVID, was canceled. We were supposed to be in Cincinnati in May. Because of COVID, the tournament was canceled, and our November meeting in Chicago, because that's where the next tournament's going to be, is in Chicago. Actually, the suburbs, Arlington Heights. It's a northwest suburb. Uh, November meeting was canceled. We may be doing something over the phone, trying to have a, <clears throat> a meeting. But I don't know how effective that will be. But hopefully COVID will be down enough that we can bowl next May in Chicago. Right. No, I see. 
And yeah, just kind of based on what I've heard and read, it sounds like, you know, quite a few bowling centers have opened over the last several months, but I, I guess they are, you know, restricting the number of individuals bowling. And so it's, it's kind of getting back to normal, but still not quite there. Yes. A number of leagues uh, have started bowling now, but then there's another group that are waiting for January. And then there's another group that are going to take the whole year off because of COVID. So, Oh, I see. It's, it's it's a little iffy right now. So right, and then in terms of the bowling centers that uh, you know that these national tournaments are held in, how do you guys identify a bowling center that's a good fit for those tournaments? Well, what we do is we have a secretary treasurer and a tournament director, and they do on-site inspections. So what happens is. A uh, local organization will come forward and, and want to sponsor a tournament in their city. And they will give us a hotel and a bowling alley. And our secretary treasurer will make an on-site visit, visit the hotel, and make sure that it's workable for us and uh, the facilities are not too extreme for us to get around in. And then the tournament director will go and visit the bowling center and talk to them and tell them what kind of things we need and, and what we need to do in the bowling center. Oh, and then they will come back and report to the, the general meeting in May, and then the convention will vote on where we're going to go right. in the next next couple of years. I see. So there, there definitely is quite a, a formal process involved, it oh, sounds yes. like. Yeah. Yes, 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 it is. Because we used to have rails that were drilled into the wood so they did not move at all hmm. but now bowling alleys won't let us do that uh, they say it damages their insurance so if the, the damage can't be fixed if there's any damage if we do any damage so now we just have the rails with bowling balls on both ends that hold it in place i see i see what you're saying so they are portable and would you say most bowling alleys, you know, have these guide rails, or how available are they generally? Well, we have our own, and we shipped them to every new site where we're going to bowl. They are shipped there several days ahead, and then when we arrive, we have a, uh, people who will set them up. And usually the, somebody at the bowling alley will help, but we have people who, who, who take care of the rails and put them up and take them down. And then they're kind of put in storage and then shipped to the next city the next year. Sometimes we ship them right away. Sometimes bowling alleys will be willing to store the crates of rails until the following May. Right, I see. Well, let's dive a little more into you know the actual competition and the bowling and the action on the lanes. Um, just personally for you, I'm curious, do you have any moments or any tournaments that really stand out in your mind uh, that are pretty memorable? Well, it's not the tournament so much that can be memorable. It's the locations hmm. that I remember sometimes more fondly for a number of different reasons. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> so, uh, like we've been to Las Vegas twice. Hmm. That's been fun. We went to Reno. So if you like gambling, we've, we've done that. Yo. In fact, we were supposed to be there. Uh, next year, but they canceled because of COVID. Hmm. The, the hotel canceled us. 
but like I said, some some like I like New Orleans. We went there the year before the uh, hurricane destroyed New Orleans. That was really an interesting trip. I, you know, eating uh, alligator things like that was always. Plus, New Orleans is very interesting any time of the year. So, oh yeah, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff was fun. As yep. far as the bowling balls are bowling games are, we have certain things that we always do. We have a singles and doubles competition. Each person bowls three games with their partner for the doubles, and then there'll be three games that you bowl on your own competing against other individuals. Then we have a team event, which has uh, five people on a team, and there you're bowling as a team against other teams with the highest scores then win, of course. And then we have a uh, what we've called a Masters Tournament. This is a scratch tournament with no handicaps. So what we, what we do is we try to... Some people say it's not right because the lowest bowlers really can't participate because they don't have a chance of winning. It's usually That's why it's called a Masters Tournament. It's the best bowlers get together and form teams and then compete against each other in this scratch tournament. Right. Those, those are... To me, those are the most fun because there's a lot of competition. I've been on on national championship teams a number of times. In fact, the funny story is there were two teams that were winning all the time. My team was called Who Let the Dogs Out? (laughs) And the other other team was called the uh, Top Cats. Hmm. And we were winning almost all the time until the the tournament director put together a team of people who wanted to get in on the Masters but didn't know other people. And she put this team together, and she called it Animal Control. And that team started beating us. <laughs> it, was kind of, it was kind of funny. We, we, all, we weren't happy with her, but uh, that's the way, you know, that's how the competition goes. It's the best bowlers against the best bowlers. So. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And it's fun. You're competing. You get to know people. You go to tournaments, and you get to meet people because you're not always bowling. Your doubles partner will be somebody you know usually. Right. You'll be bowling against another set of doubles who could be from anywhere in the country. And hmm. you get to meet people that way. And the same with teams. You can bowl against a team that could be from, you know, Los Angeles or Florida or wherever, you know. So you, yeah. get to, you get to meet people, and we have meetings <clears throat> too, where you can get to meet people and interact with people about ABBA. So nice, that's awesome. Uh, in terms of you know personal records, and and I'm curious about you know what kind of average have you carried over the years? Uh, high games, high series, anything that you want to mention personally? No, I. I'm not a statistic person. I will tell you that when I first started bowling, my average was around 117, 118. But today, you know, 30 <laughs> something years later, and much older, my average now is around 94. So I think part of that's a function of age. Sure. I just, I'm to the point now where I go to have fun. I do my best bowling, but I like to interact with people and have fun and just, like I said, just enjoy the bowling. 
Oh yeah, the social aspect of it, I'm sure, is, yes. is probably more enjoyable yes. in a lot of cases than the actual, you know, competition or whatnot. Yeah, because when we have our tournaments, we always have uh, a dance. Usually oh, on cool. Saturday night, we we have a dance, on, uh, and then usually during the week, depending on the, the local host, they'll have hospitality where they'll have a room where they'll have like free beer, soft drinks and chips and things like that, where people can congregate and, and meet. I usually just walk in and bump into people and start conversations. That's <laughs> probably the way I meet more people that way. Nice. Yeah. But I'm, I'm pretty outgoing. So that's, Oh yeah. That's, that's how I can get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> comes with a territory right yeah yeah it's like i said it's 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 a lot of fun and of course there's this whole serious side these meetings do uh contribute to rules and and how we do things and where we go and stuff like that so there is a, there is a, a serious side to it too sure no doubt and kind of on that note, uh, I'm curious, do you want to, you know, give any kind of shout out or mention anyone that maybe has bowled, say, the highest score that you've seen, you know, in your time with the ABBA or different things like that? No, because I wouldn't, it would be fair to mention some people and not mention other people. I don't, again, like I said, I'm not a statistics person. Sure, sure. Uh, so I, I, you know. I'm not going to say anything about myself because I'm not that good. But again, it's it, it's to me it's about the fun and the, and, the, and getting to meet people from all over. So I have friends now that you know, I have friends from Minnesota that I talk to. I bowl with them. My friends in Virginia and you know, Cleveland of all places. And <laughs> so, you know. <clears throat> If we have leagues, we have, and here again is part of the problem, since due to attrition and people not, new people, there, there are no young people in bowling, it doesn't seem. Hmm. Young, young is like 40, 45. <laughs> <laughs> it's like young there, but the only, time you see, the only time you'll see young people is that the children of visually impaired parents will be there bowling. You know, but there aren't again. There aren't a lot of young people in this sport anymore. Like I said, we've been uh, we've had tournaments in Spokane, Washington. That was a fun one. Spokane, if I recall, is the only city that has a waterfall in the center of town. Hmm. You know, there's all places like that you can you can learn and enjoy. We, we've uh, been in Denver. We're in Miami. We're in uh, we're in Atlanta. We were all over the country. Yeah. Obviously, we work. Obviously, we don't go to New York City because it's it's way too expensive. Oh yeah. You can't, yeah. You can't get a same thing. Same thing with Chicago. That's why we're bowling in the suburbs of Chicago. Mm-hmm. We can't afford the room rates. And the other thing that's happening here too is bowling alleys are disappearing too. True. There isn't enough interest i guess from people in general to keep things going yeah that has been sad to see that change over the years and yeah yeah it's you know i'm not, I'm not sure what else you'd like to know again like i said we we do have a website which is abba1951.org where you can learn about our tournaments and and actually we have our 
we have a, a magazine called The Blind Bowler that comes out three times a year, and that has all the information about tournaments and general information about our organization and stuff like that. So if anybody's interested, they can just go to abba1951.org. I don't want to say ABBA because the group ABBA has a website, and <laughs> you might end up learning about True. The singing group ABBA, you know, that's, that's not us. So. Right. That's why we have, we have the 1951 in there. So. Yep, separate from the Dancing Queen and all those yeah, those hits yeah. they had. <laughs> yeah, we're not that group. Gotcha. I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but again, if anyone's really interested, just go to our website. Sure, and maybe just a little more on that note of just, you know, what kind of advice for someone who you know, maybe used to bowl when they had sight and then now no longer bowls, you know, what would you say to encourage them to get involved in this sport? Well, the best way to be, go to, uh, again, ABB in 1851, there's a list of leagues around the country. So if you're in a specific city, uh, you can find out if there is a league there. Uh, we also have our bylaws there so you can uh, see how we operate and what, what it takes to do that. We even have a a book that was written years ago about how to bowl as a blind person. Hmm. We also sell the bowling guide rails. They're not cheap. I think they're just over $300 now, but we have them custom made. We have to order them. No one else makes them. So we have to buy them and pay whatever it costs. And we sell them basically at cost plus shipping. I see. And then you could you could get one of those, and, and uh, bowling alleys have no problem with you using that because it doesn't. Again, like the new ones don't damage uh, the bowling alleys. Sure, sure. So, and again, there are there's a lo- couple of local groups. We have the Midwest Blind Bowlers, and I believe there is a Southeast Blind Bowlers organization where they have their own uh, little tournaments every year. And for some people, those are more cost-efficient to go to because they're local. Right. You don't, you don't spend as much as traveling, and things are things are generally less expensive. So we have those those kind of groups too. Yeah, I know. Here in Florida, I, I believe in Daytona Beach uh, around Labor Day, they do have an event. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a real fun one. I've been there uh, once or twice, and it was it was it was. Kind of fun having a hotel right on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> that was, and they do some silly stuff like bowling between your legs and <laughs> things like that. You know, so. Oh yeah, you got to mix it up a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not all just. And again, it's really great socializing with people. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, on the on the international level, are you familiar at all with you know blind bowling in other countries and the popularity of it and whatnot? Uh, there is an international competition. We've had teams go to that several times, but again, it's you know I believe one was in Sweden, maybe, hmm. and then another one was in Australia, and. If you're going to take a team there, those expenses are on you. Oh, I so see. not everyone can afford to do that. You have some different rules, too. Like, one of the problems you have with blind people, and I don't know why they do this, but they're, 
they're not always honest about their vision. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm a total, but no, you're not really a total. <laughs> how much vision you have? Because we have three groups: you're either a total, a partial, or you're sighted. Yeah. So the international competitions, they don't trust people, so everyone has has to wear a blindfold. Oh, really? Yeah. And bowling with a blindfold is really different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 like me. It, I can't see. I have zero vision. I, I actually have prosthetic eyes, so obviously I'm not going to see anything. But if I try to do something while I'm closing my eyes, I get very clumsy and, and <laughs> I'm lost. It's, I, I don't know what. It's something in my head, I guess, because obviously it doesn't make any difference, right? I mean, right, theoretically, whether yeah. Whether my eyes are open or closed, it doesn't make any difference. But if I close my eyes, I feel a little more lost. Hmm. So you can imagine now you have to wear a blindfold. They even do drug testing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And wow. They, uh, in some countries, they don't have the kind of rails we do, but we've been introducing them. I know we've sent rails to Japan and in different places around the world so people can have the, the best kind of uh, guide rails for bowling. Right. In some countries, they don't, they, they don't really use kind of anything. You just kind of stand there and throw the ball. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But again, it's... it's Cost prohibitive. I've always wanted to go, but I couldn't really justify spending that kind of money. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Alrighty. Well, Fred, I, I really appreciate the time. Really appreciate the insight about uh, blind bowling and the ABBA, and certainly hope this conversation, you know, will be heard by many and hopefully help spread the word about this awesome sport. Yes. And the main thing is abba1951.org. You can get all the information you want about our organization. Nice. And we will include a link to that uh, when we post this uh, this episode so people have that. Terrific. Awesome. Alrighty. Once again, really right. appreciate the time, Fred. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Greg. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.